Welcome to Maxed Out Man, helping you become the man you were made to be. Hey guys, it's Kevin Davis from the Maxed Out Man podcast. This is episode number 53. I'm here with Kenny. I was here with... Hey guys, it's Kevin Davis from the Maxed Out Men podcast. This is episode number 53. My tongue's not working quite well today, but today I'm here with Kenny Mamarella de Cruz, and uh, I'm super excited for him. I'm going to go through some of his bio to get a little bit of background, let him fill in the gaps. Uh, Kenny's from a child refugee in Uganda, navigating PTSD, battling OCD, to aiding dying men along Mother Teresa in Calcutta. His journey is both awe-inspiring and educative. Kenny's been a beacon in personal development and pioneering groups such as, uh, since the mid nineties, his Amazon number one selling ebook online men's group success and his not-for-profit community interest company aim to make men's groups as widespread as 12 step programs. Kenny, I appreciate you being here. Uh, it's middle of the afternoon for you in the UK. We're here early, uh, mm-hmm. in the, in the great state of Montana in the middle of nowhere. So, uh, I appreciate you coming on board. I'm super excited to talk about this. I was looking at some of your stuff today, uh, some of the stuff you sent and just some of the stuff on your website. You do some great work, and I'm very excited to, to sit and have a conversation with you. Thank you, and good on you being able to pronounce my name. What a, what a, a mouthful <laughs> name. You know, it took me six <laughs> times to give it a shot, right? Well, well, Marmarella is my wife's name. I married an Italian woman, so that's where that comes from. And De Cruz oh, is my family. Yeah, there you so go. It, it's, it's, it's crazy. But, <laughs> um, wow, Christmas and New Year out of the way. What absolute bonkers that was, eh? How was yeah. yours? It was great. It's uh, We actually had a white Christmas, which we, uh, we weren't sure where we were going to get. I had my 24-year-old daughter here. So uh, that's always a good time. I've got two daughters. One didn't come home, but uh, it, it was a great time. So uh, for sure. Yeah, we've, we're coming out of an interesting time. If you want, I kind of gave you the basic, I kind of gave the basic bio. Can you give me, can you fill in the gaps on some of those for the audience just so we kind of have a basis uh, from that? Oh, that's a funny one. I wonder which angle to take. I remember... Um, when I wish that all my mental health issues were qualifications because there's OCD, <laughs> BDD, you know, and so it goes on. And then I had Tourette's and trichlomania and what do you call it? Dyscalculia. I used to grunt and twitch and pull my hair and pick at my skin. It, it's all PTSD type stuff, I guess. Mm. Eating disorders. I wanted to kill myself when I was a child. So my parents had one less mouth to feed uh, once we left refugee camp. So it was all pretty messy, really. My mm. basket was a very big basket and I was a right basket case. Um, but in those days, I didn't know what was wrong with me apart from there's something wrong with me and I'd better hide it. There were no fancy names and it was all undiagnosed. Um, I'm 59 now. So this was in the 70s when it kicked mm-hmm. off quite a long time ago. Um, and luckily, because of my embarrassment, the only thing that people could see is when I twitched or grunted or things like that. And that wasn't forever. That was for a shorter time. I would say my main addiction was overthinking and surviving, Mm. second guessing. So I would avoid emotions by thinking. I would would avoid any trouble 
or anything bad from happening by second guessing. And I literally did not exist. So I had a big shadow that I carried around and I dare not look at. And I had no idea who I was or how I was or anything. And the object of the exercise, my purpose was literally survival. Survival mm. of myself and survival of my family. And I guess it was pretty much around the time I remember when my father said to me, I was seven, maybe eight. And he said, um, you may never see me again. Um, you need to take care of your mother and brother. And in a way, that's when my life went on work. Um, mm. He was left in Uganda. We were all in hiding. We were on the death list. So he was left in Uganda, and they were waiting to pick him up. Meanwhile, meanwhile, coincidentally, he was smuggled to Italy, uh, where he helped to run three refugee camps, and he or organized a hunger strike and did all sorts of heroic things, as my father did. But, yeah, I was a right basket case. And um, my shadow did follow me around. I... Mm started holding men's groups about 23 years ago when i came back to the uk after being away i emigrated i, I moved to fiji i ended up living in sydney i held a natural health center there and i started holding groups there i traveled a lot i did two months work with mother Teresa on two different years one of them was over christmas and new year which was pretty amazing mm. um, and i was free i was totally free apart from the shit that was going on in my head and all my fears and all my fantasies and my survival. So I came back to the UK and much as I was surrounded by the men I loved the most, I felt lonely. Mm. And the weird thing is I missed them more when I was with them, most of them, than when I was abroad because things moved on. They'd moved on. They became addicts, mm. basically. Um, and that's, drink, I mean, drugs, so when you started money, these men's power, groups, sex, you, love, you, whatever you, it was, oh, and sorry. that was, that was them growing up in the five mm. years. And it's not all bad. It's pretty much what everyone was doing, I guess. So yeah, that's where my first men's group came from. Um, I'm curious. So you had said that you were, you know, with mother Teresa, you went to Sydney you had your own business there and then you went back to the UK you, and you were doing men's groups in the, in, in Sydney as well. In Sydney, I started, um, I called them hanging out. They were just groups for people to hang out and people, there were men and women, different generations, different people would bring not just their friends. Um, they would bring their parents and children and it became a huge community and it was really good fun. Sometimes we'd have a speaker for a short time, we'd meditate in the beginning for a short time, there'd be food, so it was proper community. And it was conscious, it was very conscious, not overdoing the spiritual bypassing stuff or anything like that, but good conscious people. A lot of people fell in love and you know it was just wonderful, but it was mixed. Um, and I came back to the UK uh, because I was working on a project. And I don't know, I was following life. By that stage in my life, I was following life. It was no longer I need to perform. I need to climb any ladder. 
pretty much all my dreams came true before I left the UK. And I had a choice of marrying my girlfriend, who was wonderful, um, and growing my business, that was wonderful, and probably becoming rich and fat and lazy and a little bit pointless. <laughs> and I thought, you know, the thing that's missing from my life is sunshine. So that's why I left. And I, I, as I was um, evaluating my situation, what came up as well is I moved to the UK. I had a British passport. My family had British passports. We moved here because we had to, not because we chose to. And I thought, I wonder where I will choose to live. I wonder where I belong. I wonder who I belong with. Um, and everyone else thought my my relationship was the dream relationship, and it was. But I, as I said before, it kind of felt like my life didn't quite include me. Mm. Everything was ticked off off the list. Same as most of my clients, everything's ticked off the list. They've done it all. They've got it all. But what they lacked was purpose, passion, and the sense of self, a personal power. Not power over anyone, but just being in power, being authentic, being real, being available to life. So I gave it all, all up for that. And I followed. And if I didn't give my life back to wherever I need to be, whatever I need to do, I'd probably remain in control, thinking, fixing, surviving, and groundhog daying, going around, because control will mean I will only allow myself or my inner protector will only allow me to have what I've already had. Because anything else, irrespective of how wonderful, would be dangerous. Mm. So I literally needed to topple my inner protector from being in control and to stop a life of, of survival and to let the man in me show up and listen to my protector and take part in life, move into a bigger life. So all of that took place mostly through coincidence, through fate, beyond my designs. Uh, same with moving back to the UK. And I realized, you know, I was supposed to be here for two years uh, to basically see all the people I love the most in the world and say, yep, I love you and I'm out of here. I'm moving back to Sydney. Never happened. Um, but while I was here, it was shocking that the people that I loved had changed, had got distracted. Or maybe it's my pig headedness and it's like I'd had all these adventures and surely you should have done something too or something like that. But irrespective of our doing, I needed to be met. My being needed to be with my best friends like we were five years previously, hanging out and having a great time. So I literally got a dozen or so of my closest male friends in my lounge and said, I don't know what a men's group is. I've never been to a men's group, but I need to be met at depth. And I'll still come raving with you and stuff like that. If it's only those distractions, then I'm probably going to have to chuck you because it's not enough. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're out. <laughs> <laughs> and it was freaky for them because most of a lot of them hadn't met each other. And, you know, I didn't realize how strong the class system in the UK is until I left um, because it's just not the same elsewhere. So I brought my friends together and because I'm foreign, 
Um, I sound relatively middle class and educated and all of that. Um, I've got friends who are upper class and lower class and God knows every class, outer class. Uh, and for them to be in a room together was a freak show in itself. They didn't know where to put themselves. They never met people like some of my other friends. But it worked. Something about it worked. And people stayed and came back um, and told other people. And I had to move it out of my home, out of my lounge, get some ground rules together. Now it's like 23 years later, thousands of people have been coming to the groups. Um, online, we've been here every day since lockdown. I've trained quite, you know, way over 100 people, um, a lot of whom have been coaches, therapists, etc. And anyone who wants to pick up the tools don't need to be a professional to hold groups for their own use um, and for their communities, however they wish to use the tools. Then the ebook, um, I put the ebook out in um, over lockdown because um, it's like it's time that people have this. It's, you know, we were it, literally in a war zone. Um, actually, okay, here's a funny am I speaking too much? Shall I tell you? No, a you're good. Story? Keep going. You're good. Yeah. Can you hear me okay? Lagging again. I've there got you. you. Go. You're back now. I've yeah. I've got you. I re, I have all that recorded, so you're good. No, when you cool. you said, "Am I speaking too much?" and I said, "No, keep yeah. going." <laughs> so, um, you said when we right. were in lockdown. So, when we were in lockdown. Yeah. So the way the online men's group started is a few days before we went on lockdown. Um, I went into isolation. Uh, a bloke a man who I work with um, had the symptoms and he said, look, I think I've got COVID might be an idea for you to go into lockdown. So I isolated and I, I kind of like discovered zoom. And while I was on zoom pretty much day and night, the weird thing is I kept listening for gunfire and I kept looking out of the window to see the military. I expected to see the military. And when I didn't hear the gunfire, it felt like, Oh, this is the silence between the shots. Like the silence, you know, when the fridge stops and suddenly it's like, oh, I didn't realize the fridge was going. It was mm. that. And then it's like, what on earth is going on? And I had weird feelings inside, but I kind of ignored them. I got, I had a lot to do. And then I realized that these weird feelings, they, they were flashbacks. And when I was in Africa, there was curfew. I lived, there was a lot of gunfire where we used to live near uh, the old president, Idi Amin. Um, and I'd flashed back to when we were in hiding and we weren't safe and that's what isolation did for me a few days later we went into lockdown and i thought well if i flash back a lot of other men are going to flash back and this is dangerous um they'll be flashing back to when they went to um to boarding school or when whenever it is that they were isolated or restricted or even if they're not flashing back they're going to want to lash out because where does this energy go? You know, this is weird. So it's because of my flashbacks that I thought we need a place to be able to speak things out rather than lash out on other people or lash in on ourselves with dodgy thoughts and feelings 
drinking, drugging, whatever it is that people might do, over-pawning, whatever. It's like we need to be able to speak things out. And until I launched the online groups um, that, that run every day still, um, which have saved a lot of lives, changed so many lives, until I, I, I launched them, working with the dying people in Calcutta was the most useful I have been in my life. But the way that the lives have changed, just coming into groups, people come once a week, once a month, every day, it really doesn't matter. It's been amazing for us to be in a room together, in a Zoom room, and just hang out, be heard, and get real. Not carry the baggage, learn from each other's experiences, non-hierarchical, no one needs to sell anything or fix anything or save anyone. But the depth that we meet each other is profound and to be let into people's lives the way people get to know each other and to watch people change and grow the way that the men show up is off the scale this is the most useful i have ever been that's fantastic and i mean i think that so interestingly enough where i'm at i don't have the same reference point uh in terms of the lockdown thing um the closest that we got in the u.s i think is probably california um to mm -hmm. to the level of lockdowns that they did in the uk it was just kind of you know i i'm in the middle of rural montana so we had you know a couple of weeks where it was you know lockdown stuff and then basically do whatever you want <laughs> so <Right. laughs> we're, wow. we're a little bit different that way it's more of a western you know cowboy u.s mentality <laughs> uh, and and honestly it didn't really affect anything it was the same you know mortality numbers and morbidity numbers and those kind of things so you know that's that's a whole other podcast yeah. but i'm i'm interested in the mechanics uh, first of all go back to you had said something about personal power versus strength i think you were kind of differentiating i thought that was interesting that you made you were talking about power versus kind of personal strength and differentiate between those two was it about um being in power yes. rather than over power over other people yeah for me when i'm in power when i'm in my power that's me being me that's me being authentic it's not overthinking it's not showing off it's not toning it down it's just being real it's being honest about who i am right now and for me that's simply in power I, it might need to be more yang sometimes more out if there's a reason for me to be aggressive if there's danger to shout to do something then fine i'll express it that way if, if it needs to be more yin if, if i need to be sensitive if i'm with someone in pain then that is also power being able to feel my feelings and be with someone in their pain rather than try to save them and fix them because it's too uncomfortable for me to be around pain but my power is authenticity where i would say old-fashioned power is power over other people in fact i'd say the difference between a man and a boy is a man can be in power and empower others where a boy generally needs to be somewhere up the pe pecking order competing rather than being able to collaborate rather than being able to co collaborate um listening rather than just having to make a noise um knowing when to pass the ball 
rather than having to score all the time. There's a very, you know, for me, the difference between a man and a boy is the man includes the feminine aspects, the feminine side, and is able to tap into both rather than a boy avoiding all of that or maybe overdoing all of that as a different type of trip. But it's usually out of sync and proving something, surviving, reacting rather than living and responding. So, yeah, power for me is just presence and connection. We had a discussion the other night with uh, my 24 year old, you know, and and she's living in a different world from a in a masculinity standpoint than I do, both as a woman and as a young woman. And kind of we're in a weird situation right now with with masculinity and young men becoming men and differentiating between men and boys. And I think that's a great way to put it. We had the discussion because because she leans towards like masculinity in that toxic way. And I have a poster behind my head that says masculinity isn't toxic. Some men just sucked. <laughs> so mm -hmm. which it, which is kind of a joke, you know, but it but it means that some men are just not in the using masculinity in the way that it should be defined. And we were mm -hmm. talking about the the ideal that you know, her idea of masculinity is, you know, men objectifying women, men trying to have power over women, all of all of these things. And I and we were discussing and I was trying to explain that. And my wife actually was the same. She was like, that's that's not what a man does. That's not masculinity. That is someone, you know, really adulterating masculinity and calling themselves a man when really, to your point, they're just a boy. Exactly. There is nothing masculine about that. But I wonder how you feel about, you know, the toxic masculinity is the unruly boy. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder how you feel about toxic femininity, which is something that's very rarely talked about. And I feel toxic femininity is something that can crumble a man at, from 20 paces. <laughs> yeah, 100%. You know what I'm yeah, can, you, can you just define that a little bit more? And then maybe I can answer the question a little bit better. For me, toxic masculinity is yang energy. That's bullying um, or, you know, overpowering. Where toxic femininity is yin energy. Mm -hmm. And very often it's withdrawing, which is abandoning. Or it's criticizing, which is kind of like breaking someone down. And I would say a man's greatest fear is either abandonment or humiliation. Because with the criticism, with the withdrawal, um, the man can, in a split second, turn into that vulnerable boy so easily, quickly triggered. Um, and it's something that's very rarely talked about or even um, named as mm -hmm. a thing. Yeah, I'm in, uh, you know, I join, I'm in a, a couple of different Facebook groups. And one of them is basically, it's, it's basically a, a marriage support group. And there's a ton of men in there and I can't remember the name of it, but, but I was fascinated and a little bit appalled that I go in there and ultimately there is no support for marriage whatsoever. It, mm. it typically, most of the voices in that, in that group are talking about my wife's a manipulating bitch. She's distant. She hates me. She won't have sex with me, all of these different things. And I'm thinking, wow, there's something, you know, but it, but it, be, it, it put the blame on the, on the woman. 
Mm. And I kind of have it this- gave the power to the woman, by yeah, the Yeah, gave the power to the woman. And I have a little bit of this theory that we are, because we're in a situation now in our society where we have essentially a society of a lot of weak men and mm. weak in terms of all of the things that you just described that we just talked about, right? Like it's, you know, being in your masculine and feminine energy, having that love, respect, care, all of those things. But I, but I have this theory that the kind of gender bending roles that we have um, means puts everybody out of balance. So the man's out of balance and he's more, he's in a weak state. Then the woman is out of balance and tries and is more in her, becomes more masculine and less feminine energy. And then you end up with this. And, and I'm not talking about traditional gender roles, right? I'm talking about kind of this partnership aspect to where if one partner is not carrying their own weight or not being the support mechanism for the other, then that almost leads the other partner to kind of step in and try to put on this additional power. And mm -hmm. I feel like we're in a situation now in society where so many wives, and I'll talk about wives in general, but women, women also, when they are with weak men, they almost try to put on a strong masculine energy, which is really out of character for most women. And then it just kind of screws the whole thing up. I don't know. I don't know what you think about that. I'm, mm -hmm. It's kind of a working theory, I guess. But that's so interesting. I remember a good few years ago um, with clients. I'm, I always find that I've heard this from so many therapists that the issues come in batches, you know, a batch of, I don't know, adoptees, a, a batch of people who've been sexually abused, a batch of parents who split, whatever it was. And I remember having a batch of clients where literally um, all they needed to hear is to him, you're allowed to be yourself, irrespective of how feminine it is, uh, how feminine that is. And to her, you're allowed to be yourself, irrespective of how masculine that is. And all they needed was permission to be who they are and the relationships worked without your male, you have to be masculine, your female, you have to be feminine. And this is how it works. And for me, it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter who expresses which masculine or fe feminine aspects when. What's more interesting to me is why. Why is this an issue? Why have you attracted each other? Where is this coming from? And what I generally get people to do this is in the online groups with private clients, with couples, with anyone is, okay, we know the issue in hand. Now, let's breathe into the issue in hand and really feel it. Beyond the drama of what's going on, feel the feeling, whether it's sadness or rage or helplessness or being trapped, whatever it is, feel the feeling. And they breathe into it and feel it. And then it's like, okay, now, Take another breath and follow the feeling back. Where does it take you? Where does the feeling take you? Not the story. Where does the feeling take you? And generally, in a split second, they're back at the scene of the crime. They follow the feeling back, and it's where the pause button in their life is depressed with something that happened in their childhood. And that's what it's about, rather than the situation in hand. And for me, literally, every time there's an issue, Maybe it could be a gift, a gift of being able to travel back into the dark shadow to see what needs releasing, what needs to be felt, feel it and heal it 
and live beyond it. So go back to the dark shadow and feel it. And this is again where the man or the adult um, can hold the child safe. So it's not a re-traumatizing. It's hold the child safe. So here and now you're safe. And the child can feel. Child's pure emotion in that way, pure spirit. But with a safe child, you can go back. Child will show you the way. And the child is safe because the adult's there. And it can be felt. And it's almost like retrieving that broken-spirited child. And with safety, you have a free-spirited child. In feeling it, it no longer needs to keep coming up. And not only have you cleared up the dark shadow, but it opens up the gold shadow. If you're not carrying around this trauma or this restriction in your life, what might life bring? And once life has brought whatever it is, signs, temptations, opportunities, um, coincidences, then will the man in you notice them and choose to move into them, to respond to them? Or will the protector in you see them and react to them and shut them down? Because it might be good, but good could be dangerous. And for me, the object of the exercise is for the man in me to be present and connected, for my protector to be heard. My protector shouldn't be looking after my child. If my protector is looking after my child, then my protector and child are in survival limbo. And I've lived my life that way. That was the first half of my life, in survival, in limbo, putting on a brilliant show for everyone else, and it worked. Apart from it excluded me, and it was quite pointless. But, you know, it, it, it had success written all over it by other people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where the object of the exercise is, yeah, my protector needs to be there, but not running the show. So the man in me holds the child safe. Now I have a free-spirited child, and I can hear my protector. If my protector is heard, my protector will not take my life over. If my protector is not heard, then there might be danger and my protector will take over. So we need to be on side working as a team. If I have a free-spirited child inside of me, then the magic can really happen, because then I can literally listen to spirit, or I can listen to coincidence, or I can listen to what nature brings, or I can attract. I'd be putting out a very different frequency. This would be safe, and let's see what life's got in store. And then life can bring things for the man in me to notice and respond into. Otherwise, it's unsafe, and the protector needs to prove that it's dangerous. And recreate whatever the protector knows to survive. Groundhog Day. And is that is that I assume that that's there's some mechanics of this process. Like I understand the concept, but you're and I'm assuming it's a it's a relatively long process, or is it? How does that kind of manifest itself. Um, the way that I do it is um, either online or in a room. The way that I do it is generally, to be frank, one session um, reorganizes, re restructures everything. Um, and if I'm in a room, then there are different chairs that people move, move into. If it's on Zoom and they can't move because they haven't got a laptop, then I'll ask them to go and knock on the door three times or touch the window or something and come back. And I'll literally ask 
to speak with different parts of them. I'll ask initially to speak with their protector. And the stuff that the protector has to say is generally quite profound. It's the stuff that consciously the person in front of me would not remember or would not realize. And literally, I hang out with that part. And then I'm back to the person I'm working with. And then I might ask to speak with the man or the emerging man or whatever it is. I might ask to speak to the critic. I might ask to speak to the, the sex addict or the alcoholic. I might ask to speak to um, whatever percentage of the rage that's been, I don't know, violent in life. Because I don't need to be beaten up, but I need to hang out with this part so we can understand why and what's going on. Um, and it's profound. And I, I, I record the sessions because people need to see the different posture, the different mm -hmm. presence. They need to see the way their faces change, the way their voices change. They need to see these different parts and know them and get them and learn how to adjust. Um, and that session, usually a session like that's two hours long, but they get it. It's not about getting it. You know, it's not about a fix. It's about being able to be present with this and adjust. Mm -hmm. So it's not, oh, my protector's taken over again, I've failed, and the, the protector was blah, blah, blah. It's more about, ah, oh, it slipped. I can adjust. And initially, the protector is asked to be on side. The protector doesn't always agree and won't always be on side. The protector's job is that the child is safe protector's job is survival <coughs> excuse me why would a protector trust some man that showed up for five minutes or two minutes with the best intentions be here consistently prove that you're trustworthy and then we can work together mm. it's really profound work it's it's just so efficient it's off the scale I mean, because that's interesting because I think most of us, some of us are better than others. I'm really, really good at compartmentalizing parts of my personality. So, you know, <laughs> and, and, uh, I, I had some childhood stuff that went on, which I've, I've, I have actually dealt with over the years and I've, mm -hmm. I've kind of coming in, you know, I'm 50, I just turned 51 and, and I don't, you know, my wife and I've been married for 28 years and, you know, things are wow. awesome. And we, we, you know, we have our issues like anybody else. And, um, but, you know, I think most men are actually really good at compartmentalizing stuff. It's that, yeah. it's like that, you know, okay, this is the door that has this. And I like that analogy. This is the door that has this person in it. This is the door that has this version of myself in it, you know, all, and all that. So that's, um, mm. that's, that's a really cool way to kind of remove, and you, you could analogize it and not, you know, in terms of like masks, right? These are the masks that, that exactly. we put on in those different masks and i think that men are so um so good at that and i think surviving know, boys are so good at that mm -hmm. men don't need to do that i would say men can include all the parts because whatever is pushed away is actually being fed because the energy that it takes to push things away and avoid and deny things and push them in the shadow is actually feeding things and what i learned is I need to give energy to what I want to grow, not what I want to go. And if something's not, not going to go, then I need to give it some attention and get it in order. Um, I need to listen to it so it stops shouting and taking my, my, my life over. Mm -hmm. And then I need to be in a position 
where things are in order. Um, and it's almost like a central processing unit. So it all comes back to the man. And I can delegate to my rage, if, if that's relevant. I can delegate to being very soft and gentle if there's a, a, a stressed out child. Um, I can delegate to doing my admin or fixing something. I can delegate to different parts. But very often, um, because of whatever issues, certain parts will take over. And it might be the, the rebel. It, it, it could be anything. Um, and the number of people I've, I've come across where they didn't realize where they dug their heels in, and there was a part inside of them that said, I am not letting this life move forward until I have been acknowledged. My heels are dug in, nothing's going on. It's like a kid having a tantrum that is not going to comply. And to be frank, there are times when people have remembered certain abuse that they forgot in their daily lives. They couldn't afford to remember. But during a session, that part will speak and not want revenge necessarily or to own the life, but will need a space and to be heard and for things to be in order so the life can properly move forward mm. and things can be recalibrated, balanced out. And it, it literally sets lives free. But it, it is initially, you know, the big fear is out of control. And I would say it's very male to go into the head and fix things. Mm -hmm. um, earlier on, when we had uh, trouble with the technology, I noticed that even though it wasn't my fault, there was a, a part of me inside that went, How do oh, I fix this? God. Not only how do I fix it, it was worse than that. It was absolute core. It was like, ah, oh, what have I done wrong? Mm -hmm. I'm going to be in trouble. I'm going to be told off. I'm going to be abandoned. I'm going to be humiliated. And it took a split second. It had nothing to do with me. It's an instinct. It took a split second. And then I could adjust from that. Now, most people don't even realize that's going on. It's normality. And this is where decent people second guess. And then they become <laughs> compulsive liars and no one ever knows what's going on mm -hmm. because everyone's second guessing what everyone else is going to be thinking and feeling and how they'll react, et cetera, et cetera. And then it's just a soup of lies and there's no depth and there's no connection and no one knows what's going on at all. It's just survival. That is not the way to live a life. Right. There is nothing real there. And my decent family you know, nice Catholic family. Um, I didn't realize that the issue was a fear of intimacy. Mm. Boundaries are for bad people. My family thought boundaries were barriers and it would exclude people. Um, boundaries are in intimate places where people can meet. And once there's a meeting, then they can change. Then the merry dance of relationship can start. But first there needs to be a meeting not perpetual second guessing so I'm safe and no one's going to be angry or no, that's not going to go anywhere. Another line that, that we use in the groups is we name it rather than shame it or blame it. So I will name my feelings. I'll name my fears. I'll name what's going on. Otherwise I could blame it on the Catholic church, Idi Amin, my parents, how dare they not be enlightened before they had me, the weather, the financial, I could name, I could blame anything. 
and I could go to therapy forever finding people to blame. I could bitch to people. And, you know, the, the biggest, most solid groups are the victim clubs where we're all victims of the same thing and the victim's always in control. And man, I could join so many victim clubs and just blame and blame and blame and never shift. What's the point of that? Yeah. Or shame. Shame has run the lives of men and boys. And I would say such efficient parenting, old-fashioned parenting is all about shame the boy and the boy will comply. Break the boy's spirit, humiliate the boy in front of his friends, threaten the boy. That's the way the boy will be controllable because I can't cope with all this energy and testosterone. So that is so damaging because it doesn't go away until people really have the courage and the space and some awareness that there is such a thing as work that can be done. Most people don't even know what's going on and can't blame them for not knowing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I think that's it's funny that you bring up the technology stuff that we had earlier, because, of course, my inner feeling is I've so I have two podcasts. I've done over 100 episodes between the two of them. And I'm thinking, okay, I have to make excuses because this makes me look really unprofessional. He's not going to want to continue this. Can we reschedule all of those things? And so that's that inner fear of me not like uh, not appearing to be as good as what I'm pretending to be. <laughs> right? right. Like that's, wow. that's kind of that. Those are kind of some of those feelings that you have. It, it was beyond both of our control. We have internet, you yeah. know, we're, we're thousands of miles from each other. There was some technology issue. Who knows if it's a browser issue, a camera issue, whatever. We addressed it who within, just a, with, within just a few minutes, but you know, just like you're, you're like, well, is it my fault? And I'm like, this is totally my fault. I look like a complete idiot, you know? So that's, it's funny how, how quickly we go to those, those places. Right. It's also quite grave. And I'm thinking about children and how children can blame themselves for parents not going on not getting on someone dying mm -hmm. anything and everything children blame themselves i blamed myself for the most ridiculous things i'm lucky enough to remember um and it carries on so when it went wrong it's like your inner child and my inner child were both triggered and we both went into shame and panic and we blamed ourselves how does it feel now that both of us has named how we felt how does it feel to you? Yeah, it's I mean, it's it's comforting and it's relieving, I think, is yeah. kind of there. There's a sense of release and a sense of relieving. And we're talking about something fairly basic, right? It's we didn't, you know, there, there in is, a way, there, you know, there are no guns outside. But, but the but emotions it, yeah. behind it are so powerful. If I was a different type of person then I might think, right, well, I'm going to just stay away from this person for the rest of my life. Otherwise, I might even demonize him. And the reason I'll do that is because he judges me. He hates me. He's going to get me back. He's going to ruin my reputation. I'd better run away from him or I'd better make it up. I'd better really prove that I'm a good guy. Meanwhile, it's like there's nothing that happened. But being able to talk about it like this I like you more. I feel closer to you. I trust you. We can meet at this depth. We can break things down rather than just, you know, being professional and showing off. It's like this is showing up. Right. And this is meeting 
and this is where it matters. Imagine simple things or big things having the honesty. I wonder in your your groups of she the 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 marriage groups or whatever marriage on the rocks groups, if people shut up and told the truth rather than she's this and she's that and it's like well, of course she doesn't want to have sex with you. A whining boy who's angry is not sexy, and she needs to be safe. Right. Tell the truth and show up. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, also, you know, I, I can't even comment on most of those because a lot of them, I'm like, all right, so you're telling one side of this story, you know, you're yeah. in the meantime, you haven't left the couch, you know, in the last <laughs> in the last three weeks, you've been unemployed for four months. Look, you know, the whole joke on Christmas <laughs> vacation, look, holding out for a management position. You're, you know, you're angry and all this. It's like, what is your part of that? And how do you identify that? And how do you work, work through that versus again, like you're saying, the, the easy thing is, is to blame other people uh, yeah. for sure. Hey, I do want to, I, I want to be respectful of your time, but we were talking at the beginning before we got started about you're, you're writing this article on loneliness uh, as mm. we're recording this. I think this is the 4th of January. This will come out in a month or so. Um, I, we have just come out of the holiday season for, and for so many, this is one of the hardest season, um, be, uh, of loneliness and it's, mm. and it's loneliness surrounded by people, right? Like, yeah. it, you know, there's this, I imagine this scene of this big Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner, um, and you have a person surrounded by 20 people, but they're also probably <laughs> the, the loneliest person or loneliest guy in the room, right? Exactly. And then there are the choices of, oh, my God, this hurts. How how have I turned into that rebellious little boy again just because I'm with my parents? I know I'll eat myself crazy. Then all my energy can go into digesting food and I won't have any. I won't be able to feel a thing. I'll just numb out by eat. Oh, more alcohol. Yep, we're supposed to license to drink. Let's eat and drink and, you know, all of that in order to not feel, in order to not feel, or to be back either with the family or, or with friends. And it's like, well, how do I get on with these people? How do I get these people to like me? Do they like me? Who do I need to be? How do I, how do I sell out on myself so I don't make other people uncomfortable? Mm. How do I manage everyone's panic and everyone's fear? So it doesn't kick off and it doesn't turn into a row. How do I take care of the weakest one? How do I get away from this madhouse and these crazy people? And so it goes, it is, it can be so lonely. Um, same with, I was speaking with a, a, a friend recently um, who also works with a lot of celebrities uh, and how lonely that is. And I was saying to him, um, most celebrities I know, and it looks like it's the same with him, they all have this one kind of old friend or something. Mm. You know, the whole world wants to be with them because they're famous or whatever, um, but they don't really have friends very often. People want something, which is tragic. It's absolutely tragic. But there's this one old friend, and this old special chosen friend will be debriefed with, I went here, I saw this one, I did that, whatever. But the friend won't be allowed in their life to any of the parties, to anything. It's like the secret friend, this one person that they <laughs> yeah, that they can exist with, that they can debrief with. But, you know, it's, it's, it's same with the, the business um, 
groups and seminars I run, it's lonely at the top. It's lonely at the top because people want something. Loneliness, it's a huge, huge thing for males. Mm -hmm. And to be frank, I feel this is one of the reason, the reasons that podcasts are so popular because it's like, well, I'll choose the company I keep and I can switch it on and off. And I've heard this with porn as well. It's like it's too scary to go and have sex and to find a girlfriend and to get rejected. And I'm not sure if the equipment works anyway. I can just pull the plug on whatever porn I'm watching and I'm in total control. And so much of it is controlled and survival. And you have a menu, right? There's a like it's the Burger King. <laughs> have it your way. You know, you can you, you literally can choose, you know, any quote unquote partner that you that you think you want versus trying to yeah. build intimacy with someone you know, like in my exactly. case, 20, 28 and a half years. Right. And it's, yeah. I, I, I will say it gets better every day. So like, that's a, you know, that, yeah. that, that's something that can be amazing, but to your and point. conscious relationships do mm -hmm. all of them. And, you know, I kind of felt like in the old days when I was a survivor, everyone should like me and I should include everyone, no boundaries. Um, doesn't work that way it's impossible and it's a big sellout but going back to the male and loneliness stuff i think um these days especially what freaks me out is the way that boys and men um will consult the internet mm -hmm. and they'll they look to solve their problems um same as the men's group so many people show up with what's wrong with me and how do i do me right and people go to the internet, what's wrong with me? How do I do me right? Meanwhile, it's there's nothing wrong with you. It's more like you need to be you. Find out who you are. And let go of who you no longer need to be. And don't do yourself right. Just be. It's about undoing. Be the leftovers. Let go of who you no longer need to be and have space to change and grow. But the way that people turn to the internet and then they're the algorithms that keep them watching and reading and hooked on whatever it is. It doesn't really solve anything. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the most wonderful thing I, things I feel about the groups is people get to hang out with real people. Um, and I've said to so many people, forget about your social media and your Instagram. You don't need to have the money and the muscles and the babe and the bling and whatever it is. You're good enough to hang out with now. And so many people need to show off in order to be good enough one day to hang out with, to be, to be hung out with, to have friends. So many men go into, you know, schools provided and then there's uni and that's really cool. And it's fun for some. And then there's the conveyor belt of the job and then may maybe moving for the job and then finding love and then maybe moving nearer her family or his family or the job or whatever it is. Um, and finally, it's like, wait a minute, what am I doing with this woman? And these, this is like, um, who was that? Same as it ever was. What was that track once in a lifetime? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> talking heads, talking yeah. heads. Yeah. Same as, as it ever was. Yeah. Um, where they find themselves in a life stranded alone where are my friends where are my friends from school where are my friends from uni the only people i know i go drinking with or i work with or the only people i know are my kids friends parents because it's convenient 
Where's there anyone to meet me? Who even knows me? Who cares about me? Who has similar values? What are my values? You know, it's so easy to let life get out of hand for a male with the do-do doing and the achieving and the crossing things off the list. So it's, it's, it can be so lonely these days. And I've been so careful with my closest friends. I've never heard of this before, but to, with some of them, when I lived in Australia, I'd say to some of them, you know, you better get your act together because if I have kids, then you're going to be the people that my kids are around. And I want my kids, you know, we're all going to be products of our environment. Uh, and if you're part of my environment, then you've got to be good. Um, but it's true. We are going to be part, products of our environments. And it's our responsibility for ourselves and our kids. And for, you know, it's like, yeah, I need a good environment here. But how many men have let life get out of hand in that way without thinking, Am I connected with myself? Am I connected with anyone who knows me, who wants to bring out the best in me, who actually cares how I am, who has similar cares and concerns and values? It's rare that these things are, are thought about, and they are so important. And a really weird thing that I've noticed is the men who have come from social families are generally social. And the men who've come from unsocial families are generally not social and they don't know how to be social. They find it quite difficult to not only have friends, but to have a conversation, to meet women, to take part in anything. And I would say it's really important, especially for fathers, to be how you want your kids to be. Don't tell them, be it, live it. Um, and if it's uncomfortable or difficult, I mean, these days it's so much easier to meet people because you can find online groups. I don't know about where you live. It sounds like the Wild West. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but to take responsibility for, you know, mind, body, spirit um, and social life, it's really, really important. I interviewed a guy. Uh, called Johan Harry, who's written lots of best-selling books, and he said the the um, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. Mm. And man, I buy that totally true. And that doesn't mean friends for life. I would say that before I went through a big change, um, I was king of the victim club um, and taking care of everyone and not abandoning anyone. It's the way I was brought up to take care of the women and be responsible for their emotions, etc. So that was the programming that I had in my early years that I needed to undo as an addiction, mm -hmm. but include as part of me. So my thing was, well, I can't move on unless we all move on because I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not that kind of a guy. I'm a good guy. I didn't realize that was a kind of love addiction and that was a kind of like victim club mentality. And I realized that the biggest gift that I could give my friends was to move on, not abandon them, not have a drama, but to move on. And for anyone else that wants to move on into more, a more conscious, passionate life, yeah, I'm there. But if I need to be in pain in order to be part of this or a victim of something or have similar issues then i can't do it anymore i need to live and i would rather you lived as well
Yeah, because I don't think that it's you know, and it, even if it, even if there isn't like some serious pain involved in the relationship, I think it's important for people to realize that I it, I believe that over time we have groups of friends and relationships and things that are that are for a time. You have you have relationships that will last. You know, from you know, we have friends that I've had since I was in college or high school or whatever. But I also have friends throughout my life that I'm like, oh well, this was. You know, I had Mike in my life for this 18 months and we did these mm-hmm. things and it was a great time, but I haven't talked to Mike in 12 years, you know, it's, and, and that's, that's okay. Like he, he, were, he weren't moved on with his life and I moved on with mine and we're in different places and, you know, all of that. So I think it's important to also realize that it's, you know, moving on can, can look uh, different in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be the most loving thing to do. Mm-hmm. I love you enough to set you free. I love me enough to set me free. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that anyone has to do anything wrong or bad or we have to have a drama, but it's just like different paces, different times. Mm-hmm. And I've moved back to my hometown that I moved to from refugee camp with my family 40 years later. I've had wow. 40 years in the wilderness. I never imagined in a million years I'd move back here. And it's ridiculous to see old friends from school, from primary school, from secondary school, from church, whatever. Um, And they are wonderful people. I'm not sure I would have wanted to be around all of them over the last 40 years. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, with so many people, it's like picking up where we left off when we're together. And it's great. And for me, that's unconditional love rather than the old conditional love of we're not allowed to abandon. You should ask me about this. We should check about this and that all the time. You know, addictive love. That's fear. Mm-hmm. But yeah, boundaries are such intimate things and so important to be able to meet people rather than second guess and, and, and just have a, a frenzy in the head. Yeah. And again, the groups have been amazing. Because during lockdown, the number of men who were in the groups who said that they feel that they know the people that's total strangers in the groups know them better than people that they were brought up with, that they have known forever. Because everyone's there just telling the truth. And the number of people who didn't go back to being alcoholic because that was their only social circle and it's all they had. It's like, I can't do that anymore. So many people who need to let go of their uni friends because they were just alcoholic students and they didn't know how to be together without it. But it is like growing into who we are. And these days it's so easy to retrace people on social media or whatever when the time is right. And how, so I, I mean, I, it's all super interesting. And I think the groups aspect of this conversation, I think is something we want to kind of highlight too, is that how do, um, and I think this is a great place to kind of land the plane as they say, but, um, (laughs) what, um, how do people find out more about these groups and get in touch with you and join, maybe get involved in these groups, um, and, and find that. So the groups are on every day. You basically go to mensgroups.co.uk. Um, and people come from all over the world. There are groups every day. Plus, we've got things like 
young men speak, um, elder men speak, dads speak, neurodiverse men speak, Muslim men speak, Jewish men speak, Christian men speak, and so it goes on. And it's not so much, they're not religious groups, they're the type of culture that people have come from. So it's like, this is how I was brought up. How can I be me, considering where I've come from? So speaking a similar language. And um, the groups, they're cheapest chips. They're like 10 to 20 pounds a month, and the first month's free for unlimited groups every day. Um, And in March, we are launching an online video training kind of course thing. Um, I think it's like 300 quid, 300 pounds. Um, And loads and loads and loads of videos with my best facilitators and I going through different modules, talking about so many different aspects of communication and how to hold groups and what happens behind the scenes and all of that. There are lots of recorded groups. So we are training more and more people to hold groups. And once people have trained, then they get to debrief with us after the daily groups and hold um, groups supported by us. So it's literally a very, very affordable training program, whether people are going to use this professionally or in their own lives. So the the online training is themanwhisperer.co.uk. The media used to call me the man whisperer. I think it's a bit. I, I love that. I love that or... brand, actually. You like it? Yeah. I just, I, I I'm, a bit, I'm a big fan of Caesar Milan, the dog whisperer. So I'll tell you, uh, I, I, right. I, like, I like the man whisperer. I think that's great. <laughs> I think that's great branding. As a marketer, I highly approve. Good. <laughs> then I'll keep it. I wasn't sure. And, you know, the whole lonely thing, it's like, I can't believe it. There's a major national newspaper um, after International Men's Day that did a double page spread. And the editors really liked the way that I spoke about men and where we come from. And I kind of feel like we were seen and heard rather than the second guessing of men are stupid because of this, that, and the other, or men are toxic, you know, all of that. It it just kind of like wiped that away. And it's like, wow, we've got a different perspective here. And after that, it blew me away. They've offered me a column so people can write in with their issues and there's an honest perspective that includes a male perspective. It includes testosterone. It, it, it includes where we've come from. It, it includes the unspeakable. Um, so, and the first one they want is on, on loneliness because of the issues that we've talked about over Christmas and New Year. And I don't know about um, the weather over there, but we have, I think they call it Black Monday, mm. which is apparently the most depressing day of, of the year after Christmas in New Year, when everyone else goes, when everyone goes back to work. But yeah, such well, that, a big issue. That's a, that's amazing. I'm looking forward to reading that article. I'll put the links to in the show notes. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll have to have you back to talk more about the articles as you get several, uh, you know, get get some of those going. And uh, yeah, I, I've really enjoyed talking to you. And uh, I'll have to check out the, the men's groups myself. So uh, thank Excellent. you so much for taking the time. My pleasure. It's been really easy and fun to hang out with you. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> and thank God for the tech issues. We wouldn't have <laughs> gone though with that. That's, that's right. And we're not, done. we're we're each not to blame, and we're still good enough to go on the rest <laughs> of our day, right? <laughs> cool. If you're looking to really maximize your life and become the man you were made to be, head over to maxedoutman.com 
and get your journey started today.